Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and it is Tuesday, so that means Major League Baseball with Fangraphs own John Taylor is what we'll be talking about on this very podcast. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing good. Coming to you from very hot Chicago, Illinois, on this fine Tuesday instead of New York. I think it's hot everywhere right now. It's probably hot everywhere. It it is July. July does tend to be a hot one. I saw the numbers in Vancouver and uh, just what it what's happening there and people literally dying from from the heat. It is uh, it's not good, John. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the world we live in. To start things off on such a <laughs> on such a positive note, the well, to well, be fair, well, to be hell? fair for the listeners, you've been seeing the check my notes here: Detroit Tigers and Pittsburgh Pirates as of late. Yes. So, I, I mean, yes. that's kind of been your mo. That'll raise your spirits, no matter when. Um, I mean, actually, though, I watched. I saw that. Not only did I see the Tigers win. But I also saw an inside-the-park home run from Eric Haas, who is not the kind uh-huh. of guy built to hit an inside-the-park home run. So, really, two miracles in one day. Are you a scorebook guy? I am not a scorebook guy, no. I am when I'm when I'm working at a game. I'll keep score, but otherwise I'm not. Interesting. Do you find that you're less engaged without the scorebook? No, no. I feel. I mean, yes and no, because it, it can be kind of easy if you're just there as a as a fan to just kind of forget what's going on. Mm-hmm. But especially if you're focused on, oh, I want to go get a beer or a, a hot dog or whatever it is. But no, I, I find them still, I mean, I find even when I'm keeping score, sometimes like, sometimes shit just, just distracts you. And especially if it's Pirates or Tigers baseball, you know, you're, you're, your brain is kind of telling you you don't have to pay attention all the time. Especially when you're beating the Braves 11 to 1. Uh, that That's also a good reason to look away and to... Uh to not engage and not be all the way invested john yeah the braves aren't really braves aren't doing too great right now are they hey orlando arcia he's he's coming he's back in back out jason kipnis getting some reps in for the stripers down there in gwinnett things are fine God, i forgot i forgot that those two were on the Braves. oh you want to see some remember some guy stuff go check out the triple a atlanta braves or gwinnett stripers rather it is uh it's a classic, oh, that's where that person is list. It's uh, it's a fun thing. Um, but in, like, a, in a depressing way, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you got to see PNC Park, which is definitely on my baseball bucket list. Is it? Did it yes, live up to the I, hype? Yes, I highly recommend it. So what I really like about PNC is it feels like the best minor league stadium you've ever been to. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I genuinely mean that as a compliment. It's got great sight angles. It's comfortable. It's... It, it's just it's just a really well built, well designed, well everything park. Highly recommend if you are a person who is all about the baseball stadiums, check it out. If you haven't gone, make a point of throwing it on your stadium bucket list. It's very nice. The weird thing about PNC, there's nothing like special about it. You know, there's some parks that have like special things. You know, Fenway's got the Green Monster, Wrigley's got the Ivy, Yankee Stadium has got um, every guy named Joey in a five mile tri city radius, but like. PNC doesn't really the, the thing PNC has is just being there with the view and 
And not only that, but I, I think it's it's about I think it's mostly just about the experience of being there because it's just such a positive experience all the way around. You know, you, you walk across the Clemente Bridge uh, to get to the game. You sit and you have this. If you're facing the outfield, you have this great view of downtown Pittsburgh with the bridges and the buildings. It's you know it, things there are reasonably priced. It's never. I mean, it's a Pirates game, so it's never going to get particularly overly crowded. It's 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 just a really good time. Uh, it's a really good baseball time, and I just highly recommend. You know, if you've never been to PNC and you can get to PNC at any point, get to PNC. It's a really, it's a, it's a really good time. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I, I'm glad that it actually led to type because Camden, PNC, Comiskey is. I don't know. I'm happy that it's still called Comiskey. Is the main thing. Do well, we it's even... gu- no, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed rate field now. Oh, is it? Yeah, it has been for a couple of years. Remember, we all made fun of it because the guaranteed rate has that downward facing red oh, arrow. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we still talk about it as Comiskey and just uh, bypass the 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 advertisement on the front of that. So I'm glad we're still doing that. Yeah. Um, Although, what's the most we'll, positive? We'll talk- oh, go ahead. I was say while we're talking stadiums, I also want to throw a shout out to Comerica in Detroit. Um, a very solid stadium, very Camden reminiscent. Another one with really good sight lines. I, I I've what told makes you the out- Camden there? Just the design, uh, just the way it's laid out, the emphasis on brick, the kind of the the feel that it is like a retro park. Which is, of course, funny for Detroit because they had a huge retro park in Tiger Stadium that they tore down. But uh, the only, I think the only thing with, with Comerica is, and I've, I, I didn't experience this because I sat a little closer to the field, but I've heard the seats up in the 300s are kind of far away from the action, a little bit hard to, to watch. But otherwise, it, it seemed like Comerica was also just a very solid park with a very kind of good vibe to it. I, 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 I like Comerica a fair amount. Hmm. Interesting. Um, what's next on the on the tour? Uh, we're g- I'm going to go to game at Wrigley tonight, but Wrigley's already been crossed off my list. It's just because I can. So next stadium for me that I will never that I've not been to and will be seeing for the first time will be whatever Miller Park is now called American Family Fun Insurance National Mall of America Field, the Jeremy Burnett's Memorial Stadium, <laughs> basically. Where we all Jimmy gather Burnett. to celebrate the life and times of Jeff Jenkins. I was going to say Jeff Jenkins was the other one who we were going to throw in there. You know, right? the, you know yeah. the ultimate the ultimate remembering a brewer is John Jaha. Oh. Real. Hmm. Real 90s brewers vibes right there, early 2000s. Yeah. Um, there you go. Deep cuts. Uh, are you ready for this day in baseball history, John? Yes. Today, July... 6th 1958 yes. john a day after he walks outfielder willie kirkland with the bases loaded to give the giants a 5-4 victory cardinal reliever larry jackson hits jim davenport with the bases full in the ninth inning to again force in the winning run is that uh, can you imagine being that reliever back-to-back nights re- like how do you lose in back-to-back which fan base would react the worst well, to something like that uh yankees because they're the worst fan base in the world <laughs> But I got to imagine for this guy, he comes out there, he's like, well, at least I'm not going to do that again. Right. <laughs> or, no, or not even that, actually. Because I, I, I don't know what the what the full play-by-play of this was, but did he come into this game with the bases already loaded? I don't know. It didn't specify. Or did he load the bases? Did he or how did, did he load the bases in both scenarios? I'm going to guess Or was this did. something where he was... Okay, well, then as he's loading the bases the second time, he's got <laughs> in the back of his mind, he's got to be thinking, are you fucking kidding me? Like, we're not doing this again. I almost like the idea of him hitting the dude instead of... Just like ideally with the first pitch and be like, screw it, let's just get this over with. I don't want to go through this again. 
and just plunking uh, him and being like, I want to go home. I'm just, I've had it with this week. We've all had that moment where something's going wrong. We just say, we just say, screw it and put our foot to the gas and just lean all the way into it being a disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's that, that, I can't imagine that that feels particularly good. Yeah. It's called bartending in your twenties. You just, uh, there's you, you get into it and you just, there's some nights, man, where you're just like, Oh, this is how this is going. Yeah. You're, you're trying to make a martini. You, you pour rum instead of vodka and you're like, fuck it. And you just pour in yep. the vermouth along with it and you just make a rum martini. And the next thing you know, you, you do not have a job anymore. You haven't lived until you've, you've bartended a concert like a Jimmy. Oh Buffett no, I, I, you, you haven't lived. You say you haven't lived. I say I would rather die Just <laughs> push me in front of a moving train. And I will just, that will be my, my choice instead. I'll never forget those those memories. Leave the memories alone. Um, the Blue Jays are reportedly yes. coming back to Toronto by July 30th with hey. a uh, superstar coming back to Toronto. Welcome back, Blue Jays. That's good. I'm happy. This is That's good. Great. When you look at like when I'm watching the highlights, and I'm watching like the seven minute game gamers for the Jays uh, in the morning, and I'm looking at the stadium. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is just weird. I'm I'm tired of it. Like Buffalo, I I like that toronto and buffalo work together and this kind of thing and that you get uh to split the fan base a little bit and get some toronto fans and get some buffalo fans and increase the the blue jay footprint but uh you got to get out of that stadium that stadium sucks like that is a boring minor league stadium and something i'll I'll be genuinely interested to see is and i think some of this is a little chicken and egg you know some of it's the just the, the the greatness of the blue jays offense and some of this is also the poorness poverty the badness of portions of the blue jays pitching staff but both dunedin and buffalo those stadiums rank one and two in uh in terms of runs in park factor this season uh they also rank very highly in home runs those are offense first stadiums and that kind of makes sense dunedin is a little bit of a band box it's a sally league stadium or a spring training stadium as well it's very clearly not up to major league standards it's just kind of basic and, and i'm with you buffalo is just kind of a bummer but those are, those stadiums have played very very offense friendly, the two most offense friendly stadiums in baseball so far. Hmm. And what's the other one? Uh, well, Dunedin and Buffalo. So where they started the season and where they've been playing since. Hmm. Uh, Rogers Center is not a pit, is not an offense suppressing park. But the last time we had a full season's worth of games there back in 2019, it ranked right around average for runs. So I'll be really interested to see what goes with the Blue Jays' offense and pitching once they move back to Rogers Center. I got to imagine, obviously, there is the the home field advantage, finally, again, of being able to play in Toronto again, of having fans there, um, especially because, especially in Dunedin, they're always, in, in that part of Florida, there are a lot of transplants. Buffalo, of course, is not a not an established major league city, although I have to imagine the Blue Jays fan base is a little stronger there, but still, there's, there's no different, or there's no comparing playing in two minor league stadiums versus playing at home with your home crowd in your home country. You know, so but I, I really I think the interesting thing for me would be see can the Blue Jays offense or how much was the Blue Jays offense helped by Dunedin and Buffalo and how how if at all are things gonna change once they come back to Toronto. But otherwise, of course, you're really happy to see it, really happy for Blue Jays fans they get to see that team again. Especially because that team is really can hit and actually really is I mean, I know they're they're quite far back in the AL East race right now, but with George Springer back and I think if they make the right moves pitching wise definitely a team that's that's going to be part of at least the wild card conversation if not the AL East conversation for 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 the rest of the season yeah I think so for sure um Sixto Sanchez unfortunately is down for the year John your reaction 
Oh, and also, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is incredible. So before, like, I am staring out my office window right now, and as okay. I was concluding, the Blue Jays talk. A Blue Jay literally just flew no. into my window. That was no, that was the coolest on. thing. That's freaky. Oh my god, this is weird. Blue Jays are winning the World Series. Too. I. Yeah. What else could that mean, John? I, I think that's what you we know what that means. Blue Jays won the World Series. There you go. There you go. Okay, but anyway, Sixto Sanchez. Yes. Sixto, um, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I think his his impact was going to be minimal, regardless, given that he was already he'd already had a setback in his rehab. More likely than not, we weren't going to see him until August in the first place. Obviously, it's a it's a hard blow for the Marlins. He's super talented. He would have been a nice boost to a pitching staff that right now is is good. I mean, Alcantara, Rogers, Lopez. I think we talked about it last week. Is you know you can make a case that's the best top three in the National League. Or if not the best top three in the National League right now, maybe the maybe the three that you would most want going forward, aside from what the Brewers have got. But the problem they've run into is that aside from maybe Zach Thompson, who's made a few starts and has looked very good, they don't really have much pitching behind that. Both Sixto getting hurt and Eliezer Hernandez really hurt them in that regard. Uh, I mean, the bigger problem for the Marlins is one, they have their offense is pretty much non-existent aside from Starling Marte and Jesus Aguilar with Jazz Chisholm chipping in, Adam Duvall decent off the bench, but that's pretty much it. Second, they're already dead last in the in the NL East. They're nine games back of first. They're eleven games under five hundred. Their Pythagorean's way way better in part in part because um, they have some of the best pitching in baseball right now. But they just they cannot hit. They've just it's it's too hard to rely on winning every single game two to one, three to one, four to three, whatever it happens to be, because you can't score. Especially when the Marlins bullpen is fine but not great. Uh, we've seen Yimmy Garcia come back to earth a lot. Um, you know, they've they've gotten some good work out of Dylan Floro and Richard Blyer, but there's not really a guy there you trust to be that kind of strong setup reliever or closer to, to kind of lock down those kind of narrow leads you have. I mean, I don't know if Sixto would have been a potential option there if they if the Marlins had decided there wasn't enough time for him to get stretched out as a starter, but maybe he could be an impact to any reliever. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. And I don't think it's a nail in the coffin by any stretch for the Marlins, but I also don't think that this was a team that it's almost like the Marlins didn't need a nail in the coffin. They're, they've already been buried, you know, and, and so six though not coming back just makes it less likely that they're going to thrust a, a skeletal hand through the dirt and climb back out of it. So take that metaphor to its ghoulish conclusion. Yeah, we talked about last week. It's interesting that like, yeah, he's there's so much upside and we want to watch him pitch, but like they still have a trio of arms that are more than capable of getting the job done. But, um, yeah, the Marlins, do they still have the number one uh, differential, run differential in the NL East as of this recording? I want to say they do. I, I'm not sure. I mean, the run differential right now is um, they're above water by 21 runs. So I'm guessing that if they don't have the number one run differential, they're probably one of only – I'd say maybe the Mets probably have also a positive run differential. I'm, I'm checking right now because I'm genuinely curious if the NL East continues to be the stupidest of all divisions. Yeah. Uh, no, the Mets are seven runs above, and the Braves are six runs above. Okay. The Marlins really have just been, uh, in, in part, they've been terrible away from Miami. They've been really bad against above 500 teams, uh, I think, in part, because they just don't have the offense to hit the kind of pitchers they're seeing from those, especially in the NL East when you have to deal with DeGrom and Scherzer and... Uh, Max, oh, I guess we'll we'll stop Max Fried and there are Ian Anderson and Aaron Nola. There's a lot of really good pitchers. Zach Wheeler. There are a lot of really good pitchers in that in that division that are just a problem. Uh, they had a really bad month of June, 
and they're terrible in one-run games, which is that's I mean that's really the that's if you want to point to the Marlins' biggest problem, that's it right there in terms of just how it is. With a pitching staff like that, you have to and an offense like this, you have to win the run run one-run games, and they're eight and nineteen in those. So I think you can probably place a lot of that blame on the offense and the bullpen that are just not doing enough to make those. I mean, I mean, look at the fact too that. On the Marlins, I know wins, wins and losses for pitchers. There's no, that's obviously not a way to judge them. But I'm not using to judge. I'm just to point out, Pablo Lopez, for example, has an ERA under three and four wins. I mean, that's in in 17 starts. Sandy Alcantara has five wins in 18 starts. You know, this is again, it's more a reflection on the team behind them and how just how much they've just left these guys out to dry. I think than it is than it is anything on on the pitching side for them. Yeah. The Marlins are going to be so weird to forecast over the next couple of years. I, I don't know what to make of them. They, they got a they got a very strong farm system. I think for them the interesting thing is going to be uh, when they get into the into the deadline, assuming they are still near the bottom of the NL East and have decided okay, there's no real, you know, there's no real future in 2021. You know, they have some veteran guys they can try to flip for some prospect help in mm-hmm. Aguilar, in Miguel Rojas, in I mean the the most interesting one would be Starling Marte. Mm-hmm. I know they made supposedly the Marlins made him a long-term contract offer, but only for three years and thirty million, which I can't imagine he's going to accept. Uh, I do wonder if they're doing that, both leaking that offer so that people know they tried, and also trying to get that done to get an idea of whether or not he can be in their plans going forward. And if he isn't, he would make a very, very attractive trade piece for a lot of teams as a rental, who ideally wouldn't cost too much, but bring speed and power. And weirdly enough, for Starling Marte, a newfound emphasis on drawing walks. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be the big question for the Marlins over the rest of this month is, you know, who do we move if we decide this is over? And particularly is, is Starling Marte a guy we move, uh, if we're convinced that he's not going to be part of the next good Marlins team, which is also its own question because Marte is 32, you know, but you can definitely expect better from the Marlins next year. If everyone is healthy, I just don't know if you can expect better enough that this is a team you can confidently predict is going to finish above 500. I know I had them as a dark horse team this year, but Dark Horse for a very good reason. I thought that they're that that wasn't necessarily going to be the end of it anyway. Yeah. Which also brings us to the other Marte on the Diamondbacks. Kato Marte uh, is not going to be moved uh, per the Arizona Diamondbacks. So are you surprised that they are going to hold on to Marte this past the deadline this year? No, because I figured if if... I don't know what the future holds in Arizona. I know we've talked about they have a very good farm system as well going forward and that the major league team doesn't really have a lot of pieces kind of to move off that are of any real value, so to speak. Uh, I definitely think that Marte is a dude you end up building around, though. He's only 27. He'll turn 28 in October. And I he is signed uh, very cheaply both through next season. Honestly, through, next, through 2024, he's got team options worth a combined 18 million dollars in 23 and 24 with very low buyouts if for some reason things go terribly wrong so you're talking about a guy who's only owed about 26 27 million dollars over the next three years who's a 28 year old who can play infield the infield and the outfield who's a very strong hitter who is uh i mean he's not running as much as he was in the past which is a little confusing but you know still a very good hitter a lot of good power you know just a, a solid player and I think yeah, if you're Arizona, that's that's kind of what. No, this is our this is kind of our foundational piece right now. Maybe if things if things continue to be this bad next year or, or 2022 as well, or sorry 2023, then we can discuss something else. But no, I think it makes sense for Arizona to build around him now. 
And I also don't necessarily know that Arizona wants to tear it down because, like I said, this is a team with a good farm system right now. They're not in a position like, say, uh, Baltimore three or four years ago where they had a bad farm system and just needed to start stockpiling it with talent. You know, I think this is more what you're going to see with Arizona is instead of a guy like Marte being moved, even though he is hurt right now. And I think that's also probably part of it is that he is hurt and that's going to affect his value. You're more likely not going to see, okay, is there anyone out there who's interested in his dribble Cabrera and Eduardo Escobar and maybe David Peralta and any other veterans who are either toward the end of their contracts or who might have a fair amount of money owed to them going forward? I mean, the, the problem there is the guy with the most money owed going forward is Madison Bumgarner, and there's no one on earth who's going to trade for his contract. So that's an issue. But yeah, I, I think it makes more sense for Arizona to target moving guys like Escobar and Cabrera, even though you're not going to get much of anything back for them. But uh, I kind of have a hard time seeing how this team get is made better essentially by trading Kettle Marte when they already have a farm system uh, that's good enough right now. Yeah, I uh, I think that they could also just look at it as like we could be the Giants next year, where things go our way next year and the Giants come back down to earth and we can we can flip things and uh, I don't know I also just wonder like yeah. It's just such a tough division now for the next couple of years. Like the Dodgers and the Padres are not going anywhere. It's just going to be, they're going to need a lot of luck and they're going to need a lot of, not a lot of Babbitt luck in the future. And they are. And I think if you're, I think if, I think if you're a team like Arizona, you can get some heart from how the Giants have gone from being bad last year to all of a sudden being not just, you know, top of the division, but legitimately top of the division. But on the, other, on the other hand, even if the division is kind of a pipe dream, because like you said, the Dodgers and Padres aren't going anywhere, and it seems like the Giants have figured out, at the very least, some semblance of contending uh, functionality. Like, I, I think the big thing for Arizona is, okay, this, the wild card is still an option, though. Even if one of the Dodgers or Padres is probably part of that race as well, the threshold for that is at least a little lower if we're thinking maybe it's, it only takes 88 wins to take, the, to take a wild card spot as opposed to 92-plus to win the division. You know, maybe that's something they can aim for. I mean, I think more likely than not, what we're going to see from Arizona next year is kind of a gradual rebuild back toward contention. Because again, a lot of the a lot of the good prospects they have are not close to the majors at the moment. So I think, and I think, you know, obviously that's last season hurt them in that regard because there wasn't enough development for those guys. So I, I can imagine that next year's Diamondbacks team will probably be more, hopefully not as bad as this one, but I can see it being kind of in a similar vein of. Maybe something more Mariners adjacent, the kind of flirting with 500, but you know, realistically not a team that's going to contend as it tries to kind of figure out what the next iteration of contention looks like in Arizona. Because it, it's pretty clear to me that guys like Marte aside, the 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 Diamondbacks team that was supposed to contend on the backs of Bumgarner at all is not really going to happen. And it's, I think it's probably time for that franchise to retool a little bit around around Marte and around the prospects and just kind of figure out a different path going forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, how do you explain Kyle Schwarber, John Taylor? How do you explain this? Like, I watched the uh, entirety of the Nationals. I'm already blanking on who they were playing. They were beat. Oh, the race. Like, I watched a lot of that series in Schwarber and the top of that lineup. And, like, the Nationals are just a team. I'm like, they should be good. Like, I don't know why. Like, we were talking before the season where I'm like, I think this is still, like, if things go the right way. Like, I don't know how they they shouldn't really be in the NL East uh, race um, late in the season. But um, how do you explain Schwarber? Because it's it's wild to watch, John. He's hurt now, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, he's hurt, unfortunately, so it's not something we can really figure out now as to what he's doing. He ain't doing shit right now. 
I, I think a lot of it was as a leadoff hitter, he was just seeing more strikes because I do believe generally leadoff hitters do tend to see more strikes um, than non-leadoff hitters. So that probably had a lot to do with it. You give Kyle Schwarber fastballs in the strike zone, he's going to do what he what any hitter is going to do, or at least any power hitter is going to do, which is you know put a bat on him. Some of this, I think, is just simple luck. And, you know, he had a home run fly ball rate of like sixty percent amid this super hot streak. Mm. Um, you know, that obviously is not something you can count on to continue. But I mean, this is Schwarber's always had this kind of power and this kind of potential, so I'm not really surprised we're seeing it even in this kind of Bonzian burst. I mean. The other part of that is anyone is capable of that bonding verse. I remember Brian Dahlbeck used to do this on the regular for the Red Sox back in the day. Mm. For There would always be two or three weeks of every season where Brian Dahlbeck just went completely insane at the plate. Mm. Obviously not to this exact level. What, what, Daub, or what, Daubach, sorry, what Schwarber is doing is, is or was historic. But I don't think it represented some new... I'm really going on a limb here. I don't think I don't think Kyle Schwarber is a guy who's going to be who's going to hit 120 home runs in a given mm-hmm. season. Can we roll it out? I know, I know. Really, really a, a, a big gamble on my part to say that, but I do think a lot of that was a combination of just some batted ball, some good batted ball results, and good batted ball luck combined with a situation that let him just get a lot of fastballs in the strike zone, which. I mean, that's you, Kyle Schwarber's had some struggles offensively, but he's good enough a hitter to know what to do with that. Yeah, I think so. Um, do you think the White Sox are a good fit for Adam Frazier? We talk a lot about Frazier and Brian Hayes at the top of that Pirates order. Um, do you think that makes sense? It's a partnership that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, I think ever since Nick Madrigal went down, that's definitely a team that needs. Uh, second base help. I think they've been mostly trying to get by on the likes of Danny Mendick and Larry Garcia and kind of whoever else they can plug into that space. And that's just not going to do it. Those guys are not, those guys are not, they should not be regular players on a contending team. Also, I mean, the good news, I mean, the good thing sucks, man. Like a yeah, freak injury. Really and he's different. I really, I, the diversity yeah, of like him. him, like he's a different yeah. kind of player. Baseball needs guys like that to be healthy and playing. Yeah, we need those guys who hit 320 because they just make contact all the time. The David Fletchers and Luis's Arias of the yep. world. But, uh, I mean, the good news for the White Sox is I, unless Cleveland is somehow for real despite having no pitching staff and a terrible offense, mm. I don't think they need to worry about second base over the course of the season at large. They'll be fine with whatever they do. I think the reason to get a guy like Frazier is... One, to give them that that, solidif- that depth and that floor in case, you know, because there's no guarantee Garcia or Mendick hangs on. And once they're gone, I mean, those are already bad internal options. What do you do if they go down? Or if they continue not to produce, you can't just have a zero in the batting order every single day, no matter how defensively useful they are. So I think a guy like Frazier, like, one, gives them a much higher floor at second base. Two, gives them a, a, a tougher lineup once the playoffs do come around, because either Garcia or Mendick are automatic outs in the postseason. Three, he lengthens the lineup a bit, too, because he is a guy who can make contact, can get on base. You can put him up near the top of the order um, and have him do some damage. Ostensibly, you could put him near the bottom of the order, as you did Madrigal, and kind of give yourself a a second leadoff hitter if you really want to. I mean, this is a team that has struggled to find a number two hitter. They've used 11 different guys in that space this season. Mm. Uh, Most of it's been Adam Eaton, who is both hurt and not good. The next two guys, Luis Robert and, Mc- and Madrigal, also hurt and not available. Behind that, Brian Goodwin, who's been good, but it's not a guy you really want to count on. So I think if you were to get Frazier, you kind of easily slot him into that number two spot, stabilizes the lineup, means you don't have to bat Eaton high in the lineup. You don't have to worry so much about Larry Garcia and Danny Mendick 
soaking up at bats. They can kind of go back to utility roles where they're way more useful as as pinch runners, as uh, backup, as as defensive replacements, and as guys you can just because you know Tony Larusa is going to do this at least once in the playoffs as a guy you can pinch hit and get down a bunt. I'm so excited for him to pinch hit someone to bunt in the playoffs. It's going to make everyone lose their damn minds. Mm. But yeah, I, I think it would make a lot of sense for Chicago, and I also don't think it, would, it should cost too much. I mean, Frazier is not a guy who you know beyond. I mean, he's useful. He's got his skills, but he's 29 years old. He is uh, only under team control for another uh, two seasons, I believe. Uh, yeah, he'll be a free agent after the 2023 season. He's, I mean, he's not making much right now. He's only making $4.3 million this season. He'll get a nice little bump in arbitration next year. But he shouldn't still cost that much trade-wise. And the, the White Sox are a team that does have some guys who maybe they could get the Pirates interested in. Lala, Jake Berger, Zach Collins, kind of guys who are a little closer to the majors who haven't really produced but might still have some surplus value for a Pirates team that really more than anything is just focused on getting cheap team control talent and trying to see if they can kind of, again, if, if they can turn on Jake Berger or Zach Collins into the next and ideally more valuable Adam Frazier down the road. Mm. It's kind of a cynical way to be, but hey, that's the Pirates. I don't really know why you'd expect any different at this point. I guess they didn't know uh, how you felt about them and Charrington didn't peep you at uh, PNC Park. I, I would yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I, I sent him so many messages. Mm-hmm. Be like, Ben, my man, mm-hmm. come on down to section, whatever section <laughs> I was sitting in. Mm-hmm. Let's crack some Iron Cities. Yeah. Let's get some dollar dogs. Uh-huh. You know, let's let's figure out the, the direction of the Pittsburgh Pirates. What if you no simply dice. spent more money? And he's like, all right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, granted, yeah, it would have been a, it would have been a very short conversation, mm-hmm. um, which would have been awkward because those, those Iron Cities are very big. <laughs> but yeah, Ben, Ben Sherrington, drop us, drop me a line. Ben Sherrington, come on the Chase Thomas podcast to mm. talk about pirates with me. Debate me in the octagon of ideas. <laughs> you coward. <laughs> I don't see how he could he could say no. Um, yeah, let's let's throw metaphys let's throw metaphorical hands, Ben. Mm, mm. Figure uh, this out. Wellington Castillo officially retired. What is your lasting huh? Wellington Castillo memory, John? I don't know if I have a lasting Wellington Castillo memory aside from always calling him Beef Wellington because, <laughs> well, I mean, you saw Wellington Castillo. He was built like a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember him being on the White Sox the last couple years and just kind of hanging out. Obviously, he was the pre-Wilson Contreras Cubs catcher that everyone kind of thought would be, oh, maybe this is the future, and then he very clearly wasn't, and then just kind of bounced around the league toward the back half of his career. Um I don't know. I mean, he was a league average hitter all said and done when it was all said and done. So that's, you know, he had his value. Certainly not a good defensive catcher. A guy I kind of thought I figured would go to uh, would go to Japan or Korea maybe and try to lengthen out his career a little more, you know, instead of just hanging around AAA or whatever it is. But, I mean, I can also understand that, you know, if you're a guy who hasn't really had major league success or been able to kind of stick on a team for a bit, you know, you're you're in your 30s, mid-30s now. You've had a decently long career. You don't really want to relocate all the way to Japan or Korea just for maybe a shot a year from now at getting a te- an invite to spring training. So I can understand why Castillo might be like, you know what, I've had a good run. Now is my time to, to call it a day. So congrats to Wellington Castillo. Congrats to anyone, honestly, who makes it to this far. And, and has a, you know, Wellington Castillo put together a, what, eight-year major league career? Something along those lines? Like he played 
uh, he played 2,700, or sorry, he played 700 games over 10 years as a major leaguer, got 2,700 plate appearances. You know, that's a solid career. It's certainly nothing nothing, nothing that really anyone's going to ever look back on aside from when he becomes part of the, the roster of guys to be remembered, as he is now. But, hey, congrats to Wellington Castillo, man. He, he, he hung around for a bit, and he, he had himself a nice little career as a, as a bat-first catcher. Last thing before we wrap up with your your Boston Red Sox, John. Um, the Yankees reportedly are very comfortable going over the luxury tax this season. Uh, is it for pitching? What do you what do you think they they do to push them over the tax prior to the deadline? Uh, one, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm. Um, that they're willing to go over the deadline. I don't think they actually are. Two, I don't know what you do with the Yankees. I've thought about this a fair amount because I I this team is a mess. This team is a flat out mess and it's not just a mess but also an inflexible mess where you have a lot of pieces like for example i think one of the best things the yankees could do to improve things right now would be to move labor torres off shortstop admit that that experiment just has not worked it very clearly has not worked on either end of things for glaber put him back at second base problem is one what do you do at shortstop and maybe that's something where you go, oh, well, you put Gio Urshel at shortstop and you move DJ LeMake over to third base, which I can't imagine is the best defensive alignment, but maybe that works. Mm-hmm. But also, what do you do then with – what do you do with I, – I just think this roster is like you have too many kind of locked bats like Stanton and Voigt. You know, I, I think also if you, were to, you know, if you were to think, okay, what's the big move the Yankees can make that would make the most sense for them that would fix a fair number of their problems would be you go to the Rockies and say, what do you want for Trevor Story and John Gray? Mm-hmm. Problem is, well, then what do you do – with Glaber or Shella or Lomayu, how do you figure out that infield that's already too crowded as is? So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're the Yankees, that's, I think the movie that would be the most sensible is some combination of a pitcher and a hitter, either a middle infielder or some outfield help, uh, particularly center field oriented. Now that Aaron Hicks is done for the season and the Brett Gardner just really has not been able to, to, he, he just looks done at this point. And great left field's also an issue with Clint Frazier, but you know, I, See, I mean, I, I, that's a team I think too. Where, if, if for example, the Marlins were to make Starling Marte available, I think that's a, that's a guy the Yankees should be very interested in. Unfortunately, for the Yankees, the Marlins don't really have an extra pitcher they can staple into that deal in terms of a veteran guy you can help. But yeah, I, at the end of the day, though, I this is a team that's now barely above five hundred. Has never really looked at any point during the season, except for a brief stretch in May, like a contending team or like a like a functional version of the team they're supposed to be. And I think it would be if this continues on like this and we get to the deadline and the Yankees are still a few games over 500 and, you know, somewhere between six to 10 games back of the Red Sox or whoever else in the AL East, I think it's going to be pretty easy for the Yankees to say, look, like, there's not one move that's going to fix all of this, but we're going to try to tweak the roster and make it better. And that's their way around, you know, having to go over that luxury tax. So I just, I just don't see them making that big move that would necessitate really going over the tax. Because I just don't see how it's almost like it's also like how can they how can they make it especially if they want to offload money in the exchange? There's not really anyone on this team making money to such a degree that you can comfortably move them. No one's going to take on Giancarlo Stanton's contract as it is. You know, you're not going to be able to offload what you owe. Wait, are we sure? Braves, sign it up. We have a we have an opening in left field. Do it. Let's put him in right. Whatever. Move Acuna around. I'm here for it. Incredible challenge trade right there, Giancarlo Stanton with the Braves. <laughs> they can have Drew Waters, Christian Pache. I don't care. That's going to be a really interesting 
uh, thing to follow, I think, in the offseason is whether or not the Yankees just say, try to figure out some way to just say, you know what, it's not working and just move Stanton. Mm. I'm really curious to see if they've decided that after, like, and he's been good. And I don't think Giancarlo Stanton is anywhere near the Yankees' biggest problem. He, he certainly hasn't been. I mean, it's, it's annoying that he's had his usual injury issues and hasn't been able to play the full season so far. But when he's been on the field, he's produced. You know, he's, he's, he's hit for power. He's been an above-average offensive player. You know, his time in New York, he's had a, a 132 OPS plus in his, in his New York time, and it's been 131 this season. He's been, he's been good. I just wonder if the combination of contract and positional inflexibility leads the Yankees to decide we can't really – like, it doesn't matter how good a hitter he is. He'd have to be an ex- – like, it's not quite the J.D. Mar- – and that's the thing. Like, I think – I guess it all it all just comes back to the decision theoretically that the Yankees had of trade for Stanton or sign JD Martinez because I mean the, the Red Sox have a something similar with Martinez but he's obviously under contract for much less time and he's hitting even better so yeah I I I I don't necessarily I'm not predicting anything I don't know anything I have no clue how the Yankees feel about Stanton but I wouldn't be surprised if coming off this season where they've really been laid bare how kind of inflexible this roster is if they start trying to get rid of some of the pieces that have made it that way. And I think Stanton is one of the biggest ones there because he really just doesn't play the outfield anymore and paying $30 million a year or whatever it is to a DH only who is good, but who is not hitting, you know, he's not, he hasn't been Nelson Cruz or JD Martinez. I don't know that that's something that even for a Yankee team that prints money, that's a hard thing to work around. I think not just salary wise, but also roster wise. It, it is just a locked spot that you can't really do anything about. John, last thing we'll wrap up here today. Uh, what uh, how excited are you for the the long thin king Chris Sale being ready to go sooner? Always, later. always excited for that absolute lunatic to return. He's gonna he's gonna go way too hard post Tommy John surgery. You can already tell. But in in reality, it's really I don't know what they're gonna get out of Sale this year. A lot of it's gonna depend on how quickly he can get through whatever rehab he needs to do in terms of starting. I'm skeptical that because of the timeline of the, the amount of time left in the season, he's really going to be able to get stretched out enough to do anything more than make a few starts if that's the route they choose to go. Mm. But it really would be helpful because this this Red Sox rotation is very is very sketchy. You know, it, if it stays healthy and, and semi productive as it has been so far, it's actually been a productive rotation despite all the kind of hiccups. Fine, but one injury and this team is in really bad is in really really bad shape. They don't really have the depth to survive any injuries, nor do they really have the depth to survive, for example, Garrett Richards continuing to try to figure out how to pitch without sticky stuff or or anything like that. So it's really good depth to have back, I think, similarly to Tanner Houck getting healthy again. I'm just skeptical as to how much of an impact sale is going to be able to have because Tommy John rehab is unpredictable, and he's only going to have a short period of time really to get stretched out and back into shape in terms of being a starter. So I'm, I'm not expecting big things, but if nothing else, it is an option. I just hope it's an option that the that the Red Sox don't use as an excuse not to make a deal to be like, oh, we've got Chris Sale, but coming back from Tommy John, that's as good as any trade. And it's like, no, because he's coming back from Tommy John rehab. You can't guarantee how that's going to work. So you need to add some depth beyond him. But I, I will always be excited for my, my thin lunatic king to return and huck sliders painfully. Hmm. All right, John Taylor. Well, we'll have to see how it all goes. I'm not having a good time with this pirate series with the Braves. Um, you get to experience, though, Shohei Atani on a nightly basis right now. That's cool. Woo. 
it's fun. And it's fun. Um, Happy birthday, Shohei. There you go. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you have not already. Uh, it's a great website that you should go read every day. And uh, go do that. Follow John at J.A. Taylor. Follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. And also uh, read my work in uh, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com that I'm doing. Moving it over my writing from the website to that Substack page. So go check that out if you have not already. Uh, and, you know, leave us a five-star rating and a review on this Apple Podcast platform if you are an Apple Podcast listener. John, we'll be back next Tuesday as we always are. Uh, will you be back in uh, back in the homestead? No, I'll still be in Chicago next okay. Tuesday after a brief trip to Milwaukee. So we'll talk some we'll talk some all star break from Chicago. All star stuff should be fun. We'll be we'll be fresh off the Derby. We'll be fresh off the joy that will be the Shohei Otani home run derby. So that'll be very fun. There you go. John Taylor, thank you as always. Thank you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.